I want to read from Isaiah the prophet, chapter 40, verses 21 through 31. We're going to be thinking together a while this morning about God's refreshing presence. In just a little while, we're going to be sharing the Lord's table with our communion meal as we experience his presence through the elements of the bread and the cup. But through his word, we want to listen carefully to how God's presence is real and how God's presence may be experienced, especially when we're weary. And I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through the end of the chapter. And if you're able, would you stand, please, in honor of God's word. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name. Because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I was in high school, science was not my best subject. I preferred languages and social studies and history. But I got by, and I still remember Newton's laws of motion. And the first law of motion is about inertia. An object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted on by an outside force. An object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted on by an outside force. The way to remember that, of course, is thinking about sitting in a swing on a playground and trying to swing. And did you notice that it always takes more energy, this is a a law of physics too, takes more energy to start something moving than it does to keep something moving. We talk about momentum, don't we? About how once something is moving, it's easier to keep it moving, but it takes more energy if if it's stationary and not moving. Inertia. There is such a thing as spiritual inertia. This blah that sets in in our hearts to where we just sort of sit and we're weary and we're tired and we're not moving spiritually, we're not growing, we're not learning, 
We're not open to the Lord and we know it and we think we need to do something about it, but nothing ever changes. And it's that spiritual inertia that we're thinking of this morning as we hear the prophet Isaiah speaking as if he were living in the 21st century about God's presence refreshing us and and shooting adrenaline into our spiritual lives. Now, Isaiah was writing to a people who were weary. They'd been led away, carried away, physically picked up and moved out of their homeland of Israel into Babylon of that day, modern-day Iraq, humiliated nationally, uh, completely destroyed as a people, their identity all but gone. And they were so discouraged and they were so tired emotionally and spiritually. And see if you can identify with the tiredness they felt. The tiredness created a bitterness, sort of an anger at all of their enemies and and even an anger toward God. Why did God let this happen? There was a bitterness. There was also a doubt. Is there a God? Does God really care? Is my faith weak? Bitterness, doubt, and then self-pity. Oh, we all know about self-pity, right? We can have those parties occasionally. We don't even need to invite anybody else. And all of that doubt, all of that struggle with bitterness, all of that struggle with self-pity that they felt, we've experienced, and it's, and it's energy-sucking. It draws strength away from us, and we grow weary. And Isaiah the prophet wanted his people to experience the refreshing presence of God. But he knew that if we're going to experience God's refreshing presence, we have to come to the point of admitting that our God is too small. Our God is too small. He asks four rhetorical questions. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? And he talks about God being above the circle of the earth and looking down on us as if we're tiny little insects. A breathtaking view of God and God's sovereign nature above all that is. And he uses five powerful Hebrew verbs that are present tense, continuous action. God sits, God stretches. God spreads, God brings, and God creates. And those are things that God is not simply was doing, but is doing continuously, working in our lives and in this world. And then he says down in verse 26, he and Isaiah, speaking for God, invites his people who are so weary, look up at the stars. Look at the hosts of heaven. Look at the stars, he says, and, and notice how God calls them all by name. And the image here is beautiful. It's an image of God taking role. Every night when the stars, comes out, stars come out, God takes attendance and calls off the names of the stars. And the stars twinkle and declare present. Now that's especially poignant because if we think and study a little bit about the nation Babylon that had taken Israel captive, Babylon had as it, one of its major religions the worship of the stars and the moon. So Isaiah is saying, you know, the Babylonians may worship the moon and the stars, but we worship the God who made the moon and the stars. 
and he takes attendance every night. He's above it all. Years ago, uh, my family and I were visiting a museum. It was a modest museum, uh, not a major city, but but a significant one. And we were enjoying it and just going through hallways and rooms and anterooms. And, and then I saw a plaque before we left that was almost apologetic. It said that there are so many artifacts in possession of this, by this museum that only 10% of the artifacts may be displayed at any one time because of space limitations. 90% of the artifacts are in storage and the museum just kept rotating them in so that over a period of years people could see all of them. Only 10% visible, 90% in storage. How vast must the resources of artifacts have been? And yet isn't that God's nature? Whatever we know about God is so fractional, so small. Whatever we experience about God is so tiny compared to the vastness and the pardon this, the godness of God. He is inexhaustible. We don't know all there is to know about God, no matter how deep and how rich the experience. Isaiah wants them to just catch their breath and just be awed by God's vastness. Our God's too small. Isaiah says, no wonder you're so tired. Your God's too small. You're trying to do it all yourself. Your God's too small. But there's a second thing he says. He says there won't won't be the refreshing presence of God until we learn to trust God enough to exchange our tiredness for God's strength. His refreshing presence will not become real to us. We won't be revitalized until we're trusting Him, waiting on Him enough to exchange our tiredness for His strength. Three times in this passage, at least in most English translations, the word faint is used. Two times in most English translations, the word weary is used. And then an interesting thing about a Bible passage that we read and hear so much that we don't think about it. In one part of this passage, Isaiah says God has strength. But in verse 29... He says, God gives strength. It's not just that God has strength. It's that God shares strength. He shares his strength with us. He he works in our lives in such a way that when we're exhausted, somehow when we wait on him, he renews our strength. We mount up on wings like eagles. The image is powerful of of an eagle. And by the way, eagles don't flutter and waste a lot of energy flapping. Eagles like to soar. They're smart. Their wingspan is so large that their pectoral muscles have to be so strong that they only move their wings when they have to. They like to rise on the thermals, the warm air currents that are rising, and let the wind do the work for them. And that they they move their wings only as needed. They soar. They don't frantically flap. And even in a storm, we come to understand that eagles will use the wind of the storm 
to, as, as a way of rising above the storm. The eagles cannot prevent the storm, but the eagles can rise above the storm. And how might that work in your life and in mine if when the storms come, rather than panicking and flapping like crazy, we allow the, the tribulation, the struggle, to be the wind that helps us rise above the storm. We mount up with wings like eagles. We don't waste our energy worrying or complaining or feeling sorry for ourselves, but we trust, we wait on the Lord. Thomas Merton was a uh, famous Trappist monk and a prolific 20th century author. And about this very subject, he once said, despair can take us to the edge of the cliff. Despair can take us to the edge of the cliff. Hope is always just about to turn into despair when we're about ready to go over the edge of the cliff, he says. But hope never does give up because at the moment when the crisis is the worst, at that moment, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. We exchange our tiredness for God's strength. Right at the precipice, right at the edge of the cliff, when it seems all hope is gone, somehow God carries us on eagle's wings, carries us on the thermals of the, of the tragedy and the struggle. And, and hope lives because we've waited on God. And despair does not win. Now see, I think there are so many helpful applications to this promise of Scripture for God's renewing presence. For example, if you're here this morning and you have not yet become a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm guessing that one of the reasons that you have held back from giving your life to Jesus Christ is that you see people who've started and not finished. You don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to be the kind of person who says you're going to do something and then not follow through. And you think, you know, it's just better not to start than to begin uh, and, then, and then fail or run out of gas. But for you, there is this promise that we don't do it in our own strength. To become a follower of Christ is to receive the invading Holy Spirit, God's presence in us, to give us energy to do and to be what we could not on our own, so that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. I think this is also an encouraging word for those who are new followers of Jesus Christ. Maybe recently, relatively recently, you've given your life to Christ and become a follower of the Lord. And uh, you've been doing it just long enough that the new has worn off. You're, uh, you were depending on emotions because you were having those emotional highs, but those emotional highs aren't there anymore. And there's this silence of faith and waiting. Well, you need to know those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, walk and not faint. You're not in this by yourself. It's not a feeling, it's faith. It's waiting on Him. But just as surely as this scripture holds promise for those who have not yet stepped into the faith and those who are new to the faith, I think this scripture may have the most to say 
to those of us who would consider ourselves veteran Christians. Those of us who've been following Jesus at least a number of years. Long time. Not only has the new worn off, but we've unfortunately settled into patterns of apathy and discouragement and jadedness. And that inertia in our lives is real. We're not moving. But deep down, we're hungry for more. It is what... uh, Brennan Manning calls the second journey. It is that, is that time that can happen in the, in the believer's life when he or she says, I'm tired of this sick and tired. I'm hungry for new and fresh. I want the Lord to be new in my life again. And those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Mount up with wings as eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. God is always doing something new if our hearts are open to it and if our hearts are open to Him. Amen.